Jillian Michaels doesn't tend to hold back. Probably the biggest personal trainer in the US. Best known for her somewhat direct advice on NBC's The Biggest Loser, she's quite the force. Eight best-selling books, 100 million DVDs sold, app, podcast, black belt, two kids, the teeth, the abs, and a racehorse saved from slaughter. But her outward success belies some serious demons slain along the way, and a rawness I really wasn't expecting. It took me a really long time in my own therapy to get to a place where I could look back on my childhood and go, you know what, I love this about him. And I love that about him. And I took this from him. In this episode of Brilliant Brains with me, Tim Samuels, we rummage inside the, no doubt, perfectly sculpted mind of Gillian Michaels. Brilliant Brains is supported by Karmacist, some excellent new supplements for mood, immunity, energy and de-stressing, which frankly I need all of. Karmacist rather cleverly brings to the party Nutrigenomics, a breakthrough branch of science, and ancient herbs like amla, gotu cola, reishi and saffron. That's some party. So you get the best of what their scientists at Harvard and Stanford have been discovering, together with the know-how of plants we've been using for thousands of years. Check out Karmacist, sort of karma and pharmacist, at karmacist.com for some fabulous formulations for mood, immunity, energy, and de-stressing, which come in some rather lovely jars too. And you can get a lovely 10% off by entering the word brilliant at checkout. Right, back to Gillian Michaels. Let's kick off with something close to our increasingly saggy hearts aging. And you've written that it's misleading to define ourselves merely by our chronological age. No, not at all. And I don't even know what that means other than numbers, right? So a person is like, well, she's 50. So what do you think that means? You should behave this way or you should look a certain way. And as we continue to evolve as a culture and a society, you've got J-Lo who's 50 years old. And what iteration of human existence has 50 look like Jennifer Lopez? And, And the point is, As we begin to open our minds and understand health and understand the science of actually how our body gets older, it gives us far more control over exactly that, how we age, how we live, when we die. You've been writing that aging isn't something we just have to be resigned to. There are, in fact, six age inciters. I'm obviously now going to test your memory and see how well that's aging. Please go ahead. Let's see if I can remember it all. So what are the six agent citers? So we have telomeres, which are the little caps at the end of your DNA, so to speak. You've got uh, metabolism. You're right. It's been about two years since I've written this book. We have your epigenome. You'd think I would have gotten the book out to go through it with you. Hold on. Epigenome, metabolism, um, stress, how we age, the stress, inflammation, inflammaging, and I'm missing one. Which one is it? It's damaged something. Oh, wait. Which one is it? Oh, my God. Forgive me. I always forget the sixth one. I can just prompt you. Macromolecules. Thank you. Your macromolecules. I'm like, it, it has been a couple of years. I've, and it was a very dense book. Given our scientific understanding of aging, where that's at now, which we just want to have had 10, 15 years ago, What is going on inside our body, which we can have some control over, whether that's perhaps inflammation or telomeres? So the idea behind the book 
was because I ended up going out one night with my much younger brother and sister. Uh, I was 43 at the time. And we went to a club and I got carded for my ID. And I was like, that's funny. And I was like, you're, you're joking, right? And the guy's like, I, you know, I, I need your ID. I was like, all right, here's my ID. And he was genuinely shocked that I was 43. And my little sister was super offended, who was 20, I think, five at the time. And I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. But then I started thinking, like, why is he shocked? Like, what does 43 look like in this guy's mind? So I began to want to understand what determines 43. You know, what makes you look like you're 27 at 43? And what makes you look like you're 60 at 43? What are these factors? So I began to just do a little homework. I I started to get fascinated on this idea of like, what determines that beyond genetics? And in fact, genetics is in large part irrelevant because we affect the expression of our genetics with the way we live our life. So I decided I wanted to write a book about it. And I I hired a a co-author who specializes in um, deciphering studies in medical research. And we went and spoke to a bunch of neuroscientists who specialize in the science of anti-aging. And it turns out that there are those six body processes that determine how well we age. And it's again, it's how do you preserve those telomeres, right? How do you manage damage to your macromolecules, which are literally your cells? How does your metabolism affect those body processes? How does the process of stress improve or accelerate the way that you age? All of those different components really play into how you look, how you feel, what diseases you're more susceptible to. And that's really what the book is about, is how do we make these body processes work for us instead of against us? And of course, fitness is also a massive component. I guess given the fact you got carded by the doorman, you're already doing a lot of this already. But what have you started to do since you began looking into aging more? Meditating. When you practice it consistently, even if it's just five to 10 minutes a day, five times a week, the physical results are tremendous. I've always been aggressive about supplementation, but I've gotten a little more insane with my supplementation. And those two things I really made a concentrated effort to improve upon. I mean, I do love a supplement. So what should I be taking for my telomeres? Oh my God. Okay. I mean, how how much time do you have? We can clear the rest of the day for this. Don't you worry. Okay. I take krill oil, a greens powder with antioxidants and adaptogens. And then I'm so nuts, I actually add a performance mushroom blend. Then on top of that, I take a REDS product, prebiotic, probiotic. I take a pre-workout that's beet powder, colonite, green coffee. I mean, I'm insane. I take a multi-collagen with MSM, glucosamine, chondroitin, all from, you know, hydrolyzed collagen peptides that are ethically sourced. Like I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit nuts with this. I really am. I, I admit it. it. It's this is where I I lose most people. Yeah, I was kind of with you for about three quarters of the way there. I'd love to talk about your motivation and drive and where that comes from. I mean, I presume it wasn't a childhood filled with green powders, adaptogens, mushrooms, ashwagandha. I mean, I was a child. I absolutely was a child of the '80s. So I love my mother, and she is an incredible woman. But she definitely didn't have any kind of education on nutrition. 
So, you know, my mom was the one that had like the, it was called a tab. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It was a di- basically a diet soda from the 80s, you know, on her raft in the sun with no sunscreen. You know what I mean? Like that was just, that was the generation. It was the generation of processed foods and just complete crap. Not only was everything really the beginning of more is more and highly processed and filled with chemicals and junk, but my father also was overweight. And so one of the ways I bonded with him was over food. So I was also overweight. I mean, I remember, like, I literally remember my Taco Bell order like it was yesterday. Two bean and cheese burritos with no onions and extra cheese, a Taco Supreme, and a Diet Coke. Like, dude, I would be the one that ordered the Domino's pizza and would sit by myself in front of the TV and watch it. I would go through a bag of Cheetos. Like, that was my childhood until my parents got divorced when I was 12. And my mom was looking for an outlet for me. So she was dating somebody whose nephews were in martial arts. And I was fascinated by it. I, I, maybe because I was bullied in school, overweight kid, acne, braces. I had a huge nose. Spoiler alert, had my nose done when I was 15. Gay, didn't know I was gay, but somehow everyone else in the school knew I was gay. So I got called dyke and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, that's so weird because I'm not gay. Surprise. So she got me into martial arts. And that's really what turned it around for me. And my martial arts instructor was ahead of his time. He was a mixed martial arts guy who understood everything about elderberry and spirulina and echinacea and ashwagandha. He really did know that stuff. And I'd get the flu and I'd have all these weird concoctions that this guy would make for me that now everyone buys at Whole Foods, but then like no one had ever heard of. And he educated me enough about fitness and food that I went on my own journey with it and it continues to evolve. But that was really the turning point. And I would say it's also when I began to appreciate fitness as a means to self-empowerment, right? You know, when you're strong physically, you're stronger in every facet of your life. And it, it helped me build my self-worth and my self-esteem. And that's really why I do what I do. Like, sure, I mean, I want to age well. But what I love so much about helping people get healthy is that I know I'm empowering them to live their best, most confident life. It feels like martial arts perhaps gave you the control that might have been disappearing. You know, when your parents break up, it's a total loss of control. You want to keep that home together. And there's nothing you can do. You're pretty spot on with that. It's chaos. You know, I mean, for kids, we don't have the ability to remove ourselves from a situation, right? You're, you're in that situation. You can't be like, this is toxic. <laughs> I'm leaving. It's just, it's just not an option. And unfortunately, my parents did have a really ugly, bitter divorce. And, you know, my dad wasn't he's still alive. We don't, we don't speak. He wasn't the healthiest guy in in a, in a host of ways. So martial arts definitely did give me, you're right. It gave me a sense of control over my body and the way I thought and the way I felt, you know, when you tell people, Oh, just believe in yourself. People can't believe in a reality they haven't experienced. And if their entire lives they've been told they're weak or they're the lazy one or they're the fat one or they're the dumb one or they're the whatever one in the house, 
we kind of take that on, it becomes our identity. And now we live in this prison of who we think we are and there, you know, and then we're limited to what we think we can do. So for me, I remember I had to break these two boards with a sidekick for my second degree blue belt test. And I was thinking like, there's just no shot. There's no way I'm going to be able to do it. No way, no shot, no way. I was afraid of it for months. End up breaking the two boards. And I remember I walked into junior high the next day and I was like, come at me. <laughs> Nobody came at me again. Nobody. I mean, of course, I'm, as a public figure, you have a ton of people that hate you. But I mean, <laughs> nobody bullied me. Nobody called me names. Nobody cornered me in the hallway ever again. And I remember being so disappointed because I was like, I was ready for the fight, man. Oh, my God. And I realized that it was the way I was carrying myself. It was the way I respected myself. It was how it improved my confidence and my self-esteem. And so it gave me the sense of control, but it also gave me the sense of like a belief in my ability and a belief in my worth that changed the way I behaved, which changes the way people approach you as well. A quick crib sheet of herbs you'll really want to be part of your daily regime from our sponsor, Karmacist. Saffron, passion flower, go to cola, maca, California poppy, ashwagandha, reishi, and amla. Fortunately, they all feature in Karmacist's mood, immunity, relax, and energy formulations. Designed by Ivy League scientists and waiting for you at karmacist.com. Tell me to butt out if it's too personal, but when did you last speak to your dad? God. My brother was 16 and he's 30 now. So 14 years ago, we had a fight about my little brother who was living with me at the time because of the things that were going on at his house. We'd gone off and on my whole life. He threw me out when I was 17. Then we talked when I was 21. Then we stopped talking when I was 22. And then we started talking when I was 27. Then we stopped talking again when I was 31 um, and haven't spoken since. It's hard to avoid you even on this side of the pond. Your dad must come across you when he flicks on the TV. Is that a strange feeling? No, I hate to tell you, I don't think he cares. I mean, he's just, he's got three kids. None of us speak with him. I don't mean to bash him. He, he, people are, he did the best he could do. He has a ton of his own demons. It took me a really long time in my own therapy to get to a place where I could look back on my childhood and go, you know what? I loved this about him. And I loved that about him. And I took this from him. And he was funny and he was charismatic and he was successful. And he was the one that was always like, eh, you'll be fine. Eh, you'll be fine. So I was like, I guess I'll be fine. You know, I mean, it, and inherently in a weird way, it did actually help with my ability to believe that I'd be fine. And I work really, really hard to root out some of the bad things that that uh, I have carried with me. Um, but, you know, nobody's perfect, unfortunately. Are you trying to do that classic thing now with your kids where you cherry pick the best bits of parenting that you were exposed to and jettison the stuff that you think, I just don't want to pass that on to another generation? My mom loves to point out to me the ways in which I am failing at doing such a thing. 
<laughs> you know, I had I had something happen with my daughter recently, and I regretted the way I handled it. And I was like, why did I handle it that way? And I kept trying to figure out like why I handled it a certain way and didn't handle it differently. And my mom's like, well, that's how your father would have handled it. And she's like, you know, we, they connected through an identification. In other words, like in my mom's a psychoanalyst, shocker. And she feels that I stay connected to my father in some ways by behaving like him in some ways. And I don't know, I had to really, I had to really think about it. I, at the time thought I was doing the right thing and later realized that for my daughter, I did the wrong thing. So, you know, you, you try, man, you don't always get it right. And you can't even blame the genes anymore, having written about that with epigenetics. These things aren't deterministic. It's definitely, there's definitely a predisposition in some cases, but your environment has a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous amount to do with it, for sure. You've been responsible for an awful lot of people losing an awful lot of weight. I mean, I wouldn't like to think about the cumulative amounts uh, of pounds that you're responsible for, but it's probably a fair few thousand. Okay. Well, first, I would say the amount of weight I'm probably responsible for is 50 pounds because that's the amount of weight I lost. So anybody who's lost weight working out with me did the work, right? I'm just a businesswoman. I am. I'm lucky to love what I do. And I think I'm really good at what I do because I like it. I care about it. And it's been my own journey. But I can put workouts and books and this and that and whether or not you pick it up and utilize it is on is on you, right? So personally, I'm responsible for 50 pounds. People who've worked out with me, hopefully, hopefully working out with me, they've lost more, but that's that's on them. You've been around so many people who've tried really, really hard to lose weight. And it's it's a miserable place to be if you're stuck in that situation. Diets seem to be transient, they don't work, they can be damaging. On a psychological level what's the state of mind what's the approach that you think ultimately leads to people genuinely and sustainably losing weight we don't engage in destructive behaviors because we're weak or we're lazy or we're stupid we don't drink too much or sleep with the wrong people or turn to addiction or spend money we don't have because we're weak lazy or stupid we don't none of that stuff we turn to destructive behaviors Because at one point or another in your life, that behavior meant your psychological survival. So the reason so many lose weight and go back is not necessarily because you lost on some stupid diet, although that might make it harder to maintain because you've damaged your metabolism a little bit. But it's because all of those demons that you did not work through come back to haunt you. It's like if you're depressed and you know you should go for a run, but you just don't have the serotonin that day to do it. You know you're going to feel better, but you stay on the couch. It's not because you're enjoying that state of mind and you want to be there. It's because you just don't have that thing to click you back into gear. Isn't that the same with weight? You're not enjoying being overweight, but you just can't quite do something about it. It really depends. It could be both, but to give up something that has provided you with comfort or control or whatever it might be represents a very big loss unto itself. So there's that component, right? And the pain of the way you're living has to be greater than the fear and the work 
and the sacrifice and the loss associated with the change. Now, when we become chemically depressed, and this is actually something I, I wrote about in the six keys, is that when you become biochemically depressed, it changes the, the literal structure of your brain and you might need to get some help. And that's okay. That's why help is there. There should be no stigma surrounding that either. And if you need to get on antidepressants for a little while, then you need to get on antidepressants and you need to see somebody. So God willing, there might be a moment, a brief moment, right? Where you're sitting on the couch and you're extremely depressed, but something has motivated you to take one step, whether it's calling the psychiatrist, depending on how deep it is, or taking that first step on the run. It's like, you've got to get that, that body in motion tends to stay in motion and every little positive action can beget another positive action. But it is so hard to take that first step to break that cycle. And that's why these moments of inspiration are very different than motivation. Jillian, I'm going to end with a couple of quick fire questions for you. Whose brilliant brain have you drawn most inspiration from? Oh my God, I love I love cosmologists and astrophysicists. So, I mean, I'm obsessed with a guy named Brian Green. I will sit and watch this guy's videos and listen to his books, but also like Lawrence Krauss, Michio Kaku. I just, it's my form of religion. Like, I just love it. What's your wellness Achilles heel? What's your bad habit? My, I, my life is filled with a lot of stress, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't. That is the the Achilles heel is just like there's a lot of stress. You know, I think when you to whom much is given and I've been given a lot, much is required. And I I try to I try to meet those demands whether it's, you know, keeping my companies going during coronavirus and making sure my employees don't lose work and we don't lay anybody off. And some some of my companies that was easy and some of it was really not easy. Or whether it's like not being a shitty parent which I have days where I am, you know, it's just that stress of like trying to hold it together and trying to carry a lot and trying not to let people down. And you could say, well, that's all your fault, but it's a fine line, right? Of like what is and isn't your fault and what you are legitimately responsible for and what you're just putting on yourself, like a fake martyr and just the stress, man. It's a lot of stress. And finally, I'm going to make you dictator of the United States. Your mission is to make people fitter and happier. God. Oh, there's so much I would do. I would, first thing I would do if I was dictator of the United States is get rid of something we have here called Citizens United, which basically means big business can essentially bribe our politicians into passing really shitty legislation. And that directly impacts our food supply, our environment, all of those things. I, I think are have direct relationship to the amount of cancer and obesity and all that garbage and poison and crap in our food, our air, our water. I think if politicians were not being bribed, there's no way they'd be like, oh yeah, screw it. Deregulate everything for big business. No. So that would be probably the first thing I would do, um, to be honest. And then I could start looking at like certain kinds of like work weeks and work at home and <laughs> But we've got a lot of that stuff in place. But that that is the first thing is I would not allow any and all of this poison to flood into our food, our air, and our water. Sounds like a reasonable start. I'd vote for that. Actually, you wouldn't need to vote because you're a dictator. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, I've got total supreme control. Jillian Michaels, thank you. Oh my gosh, no, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been so much fun. Thanks to Jillian Michaels. To hear all 12 episodes of Brilliant Brains, including Harvard scientist Dr. David Sinclair, explain why aging is optional and what he does to stop the body growing old, go to karmacist.com, home of our sponsor. Thanks also to Nature Boy for the music and producer Tess Davidson. From me, Tim Samuels, that's this episode of Brilliant Brains. 